Hello, you're listening to the Inclusive Innovators podcast, a brand new series recorded entirely in lockdown. This series is part of the East London Inclusive Enterprise Zone, aka Elise, powered by UCL. Elise is an accessible, specially designed community for entrepreneurs who are disabled or whose work focuses on accessibility. This series is packed full of change makers, innovators and partners, all of them connected to Elise. Built on the Paralympic legacy, we're working with several partners, including Disability Rights UK, Plexor, and the Global Disability Innovation Hub to pioneer the development of products and services in and around the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. Each episode, you'll hear from our host, Matt Pieri. Matt founded Sociability, an app which helps disabled people find accessible spaces such as cafes and bars. This app is now available to download. Hi, everybody. My name is Matt, and welcome to the Inclusive Innovators podcast. I'm really excited to present this episode to you today, where we chat with Anika Limchuku, founder and CEO of Lapapo, as she talks about her work helping families and kids with special needs to be able to get the support and the equipment that they need. This was a really awesome conversation. It was super fun. It was great to hear some of the challenges and successes that Anika has had, and I'm really excited to present it to you. Hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, um, Anike, if I could just ask you to introduce yourself a little bit um, and explain what La Papo does, that would be fantastic. Yes, hi, I love that you pronounced my name so well. <laughs> so I'm... <Thanks>. I'm practicing. <laughs> <laughs> Anike Lemchiku and I am founded La Papo basically because I wanted to do more to support parents and children with additional needs. Um, so what the Papo is, is basically a online platform that connects um, parents to products and information to support their child. And that's whether their child has autism, Down syndrome, cancer palsy, the whole kind of range of needs. Um, awesome. Um, so we can dive into that a little bit deeper just in case some people don't have much experience with disability or with special needs in particular. So you mentioned a few, um, you know, disabilities or conditions that some of the children might have. Can you just give us a bit of an insight into what some of the special needs actually are and sort of how, you know, potentially that those uh, health conditions play out in terms of behaviour or sort of ability to kind of, you know, operate in society? Yeah. So. One of the things that I've noticed, because I've loved working with children for so long, I've done it for around 11 years now, um, and I've noticed that a lot of the needs kind of overlap. So children that have autism and children that have Down syndrome might both have toileting needs. Same way that a child that doesn't have autism or Down syndrome, they might also have toileting needs. So it kind of breaks into if your child, if you require support with your child with behavior or you require support for their diet or you require support for how they behave, um, it kind of all overlaps. But again, different children are all individual. So one autistic child is not going to behave the same as another autistic child. So some might be hyperactive, some might be really tame and need to be energized a bit more. Um, So every child is individual. Awesome. That's really helpful um, in terms of some examples. Um, and so could we just dive also a little bit into more like what sort of equipment and, su- and support services um, are available through the Papo that you mentioned? Yeah, so the Papo, it basically connects to anything that a child needs. So if you've got a child that is in a wheelchair, I've connected with a um, vendor who 
is a dad and his son has cerebral palsy and he just wanted to make children happier so he started creating um wheelchair spokes covers which are essentially stickers that go on the side of your child's wheelchair and they just make it a bit more personal um and then there's also bibs so there's a woman that um has an older teenage son and he needed support with eating because he just kept getting food over himself um so there's parents that have um that can find products like bibs and things like that on there so it's and then it goes into diet so your child might have um certain dieting needs so you've got um dieting products on there as well so it's kind of anything that will make a child's life easier yeah and it's really cool having to have a look at the website and some of the things that are available to see that there's you know it's broader than just like pure medical um uh, pieces of equipment or things like that and that like you said sort of really stuff that helps facilitate like a better quality of life and more enjoyment and you know really tapping into some of the elements that I think a lot of the time when we think of disability we don't think are essential or we don't think people you know need or want we sort of think what's the kind of basic or like required necessary medical you know equipment or intervention and we sort of stop there so it's awesome to see like a lot of stuff around lifestyle and the way in which um, you know people want to be able to live more enjoyable and you know engage and fun lives um, particularly for kids um, so that's fantastic can we uh, also now jump a little bit into I guess what some of the issues were that um, existed in this space for people who were trying to get access to these supports or equipments um, before the Papo came on board yeah so when I was a um, teacher and so I worked with special needs kids for around four years in a special needs school um, I just kept coming across parents that were like they just felt like they weren't getting the things that they needed either that they weren't having access to to the right equipment or they weren't having access to the right um, services or they just weren't sure of what to do to help their child at home it was just a whole it's very kind of this field that's kind of very stigmatized and isolated and it's like parents that get a diagnosis for their child are often left in the dark um, on what to do. So my overall thing was, I wanna create something where parents don't feel like I'm coming into this blind. I don't really know where to go. I don't really know what will help my child. I don't know who to speak to. I just wanted to create this kind of hub where you can find kind of equipment, information, anything that you would need really to support your child. Um, Cause at the moment it's, there are different things out there. So there's some special needs shops out there. There's some, um, lots of really good charities that are really doing, doing like really great work to support parents. Um, but I wanted to create something that's a, a bit different to, to kind of what's there already. Awesome. Um, and in particular, like you, you, obviously La Papa is a, is a web-based platform. It's a website. Um, was there much by way of, you know, I guess, technology enabled solutions in this space or was it like you said sort of pretty much you know there's brick and mortar stores here but if it was you know if you didn't live near there it kind of might have been out of your radar how did the sort of space look from a kind of technology perspective yeah so there's not much out there in terms of the technology space i think it's really weird when you're trying to do a, um, a social something that has a strong social mission and you're trying to bring it into this kind of technology sector which is typically kind of your private corporate sector so it's kind of merging the two um and what exists already it's it's mainly kind of charities um kind of shops there's not really 
like a tech, there's not many tech enabled and social businesses that are focused on disabilities and accessibility. Yeah, yeah I think that's particularly true, um, you know, from having worked in the space for a little bit, you find that there's a kind of pretty stark distinctions between um, things that are you know, socially impact more broadly, but specifically things related to disability um, and kind of innovation. A lot of it, like you said, is, is you know, super well-intentioned, but really old-fashioned charity or like, you know, stark kind of non-profit approach to, um, to the disability space and particularly very medicalized. Um, so it's great to see, you know, some innovation happening in the space. So um, can you tell us what we're, we're, on this series, we're doing um, two kind of consistent questions to everybody. Um, the one we do at the end, but the one we do uh, now um, is called uh, basically, what is your innovation inspiration? So um, this is basically trying to, to get to the point of what prompted you or like really gave you that spark to, to take an action in this space. So um, you mentioned that you worked in the space, you'd seen some of these issues, you, you'd you know worked as a teacher and obviously, I guess, interacted with a lot of people who would have had these kind of um, concerns or would have struggled to find supports. But what actually prompted you to, you know, to take that step to do something about it? Yeah, um, so all I've ever done my whole life really is work with children with special needs. Um, and just experiencing different situations with different parents, it made me think something more could be done in this space. That's not been done before. Um, so I looked around and I think that really kind of stands out to me, but kind of very different as well, is um, Etsy. And the reason is because they've really catered to a lot of kind of independent businesses that create products that people love. And they brought them all into this one space and they're also based on community. So they really brought this kind of social aspect of a business into, into this, into this kind of private corporate world. So I thought, I think the special needs space needs some sort of destigmatization. I feel like there's a lot of stigma in it. I feel like there's a lot of kind of, oh, I'm sorry in it. And I feel like, especially with children, I feel like I just wanted to kind of change that narrative a bit, um, which everything kind of came together and I decided to, to create the puppet. Awesome. Yeah, I can imagine it's um, it's a whole bunch of different things coming together, uh, you know, thankfully at the same time. To kind of push it a little bit on some of those points, can you maybe just give us an example of some of the stigmatization that you've seen in the space or, you know, what you sort of mean by that a kind of, like, I'm sorry attitude towards children with special needs? Yeah, so just like the word. So I was, I'll give an example. I was at a parent support group and I was speaking to, to a parent and we started going outside and we were talking about how her son has autism and then suddenly her face just just changed and she looked around just to say oh did did anyone notice that you just mentioned that my child has autism and i mean if you just look into the news so the bbc has so much going on about how special needs children are neglected how there's not enough school special needs kids it's just kind of this this area that there's a lot of needs in it and there's a lot of kind of like it's seen as a, as a charitable cause. Um, even when I tell people what I'm doing, they automatically assume that it's a charity. And I, I think charities are great, but I think children especially shouldn't be seen as a charitable cause. I think they're just children, regardless. Um, 
so yeah, I kind of want us to break, break that a bit. Yeah, definitely. And I think there is a really strong kind of philosophical point about this of, you know, people pay for services for kids for lots of things. Um, and it shouldn't be sort of left to uh, the nonprofit sector or the charity sector to take care of those things for children with special needs or with disabilities um, for free. Uh, and part of, I guess, the, the, the premise here is sort of turning this into a, you know, a must have and that's something that people will pay for and, and care about rather than sort of a nice to have if they can get a bonus or a donation or things like that. Um, so in terms of that kind of, like you said, the general response to, to people hearing about what you're doing in the space being that you must be a charity or non-profit. I was wondering if you can talk about, yeah, I guess the greatest sort of um, stereotypes that you've faced, uh, you know, in, either in addition to that or, or if we can talk a bit more about that one, um, in setting up La Papo, particularly, I guess, as a, like you said, uh, a tech platform in the social inclusion space um, that's a for-profit company but trying to do impact as well. Yeah, so I think... One of the hardest things I heard was, um, are you taking advantage of children with special needs by being a private company? And I thought, wow, like, that is the last thing I'm trying to do. Like, that is, like, not even close to what I'm trying to do. So it's, like, just little things like that where it's, like, or just the assumption of, oh, you can't really do that, that you can't really become that big or you can't really do that well because you're focusing on an area that is kind of like a social, a social need area. And it's like, well, there's a lot of social need areas that can do well and that needs more focus on them. I feel like special needs kids is another area that just needs a lot more focus on it because there's so much that's happening and so much neglect, so much isolation. Um, so I think, yeah, that's that's one of the challenges. One of the things that I found the hardest is trying to bring, trying to, to, to merge purpose with, with profit and, and growth and having the criticism, criticism based on that. Yeah. And why do you think people have that response? Like, obviously, you know, without you being able to get in everybody's you know, heads and, and see what they're thinking, do you have any ideas of why this is the kind of consistent response or, or what sort of people are, are kind of, you know, really getting at when they ask questions like that? I think that's a good question. I think, I think traditionally it's, you, you're seeing us two sectors. You're either seeing us the for good sector or you're seeing us the for profit and you're seeing us bad and corporate. Like, I think there's this new coming, which is kind of like this tech for good and this kind of social businesses that are, are kind of slowly coming up. But I feel like because that's that original view was there, people still have that. So it's like, if you're trying to merge the two, you get that kind of look of, oh, you'll see us doing something bad or something that's not quite right. Yeah, for sure. And I think a large part of that is is like familiarity. Like there aren't a lot of well-known organizations that do, like you said, um, blend, I think, that profit with purpose um, approach. Um, but hopefully, you know, the more kind of awareness we can raise and the kind of the, the greater focus we can put into this space, it does start to normalize this a lot because I think you're right. Like it is a very old-fashioned um, and often really unproductive view uh, of like what, businesses and innovation and things like that um, 
can focus on and, and the sort of impact they can have um, if they're allowed to have impact at all, which a lot of people sort of don't <laughs> explicitly seem to like. Um, so to kind of, uh, I guess, dive a little bit into how the first, you know, the early stages of Lapapo uh, went in terms of setting it up, you mentioned obviously a lot of the kind of um, response from people and the stereotypes and expectations. Um, but can you maybe tell us a little bit about what it's like to set up a you know a tech company in this space practically, and particularly, um, uh, you know, do you have experience in, in this, or is like technology something you've worked with for a long time? Obviously, you knew the the subject matter, but how do you go about setting up an actually an organization? <laughs> that is a good question, a very good question, because it's not been easy. Um, so I decided I wanted to to build a puppet. And then I thought, how am I going to do this? And I heard a lot of people saying, start lean. So I thought, okay, I'm going to build a basic website. I don't have a background in technology. I taught myself to build a website in WordPress. So I built it kind of myself, started contacting people, getting feedback, going to a few parent groups, getting feedback. And just quickly, sorry to jump in there, for people you know listening along at home, how would you rate yourself in terms of like technical, you know, competence? Like are you a, a tech whiz who just hadn't made a website before or are you, you know, somebody who struggles to turn on turn on the iPhone because it's got no buttons? Like where do you sit on that spectrum just so people who might be having similar ideas, you know, can kind of relate? I would, I would before I build a pop I would put myself as probably like a four. Now I probably put myself as probably like a five and a half, six. If I play yeah, around awesome. with it, I get it. Yeah. Great. Cool. Sorry to interrupt. But yeah, so then you mentioned you started to, to connect with other partners. Yeah. So that's, and it, I think, and then I got an award from Unlimited, which they basically fund social enterprises. Um, what was the What was the award? Sorry. So the first award was the Try It Award by Unlimited. They do, um, I got rejected from them the first time. La Papa was something different then. Um, and then they basically do a Try It Award, which is, they, they give you like 500 pounds, some mentoring, and it just gives you that kind of boost to be able to get going a bit. Um, then I got the Do It Award from them. And then I did a crowdfund, small crowdfund in December last year so that's allowed me to kind of get moving a bit more but now the website's just being in development so what's that moment that i created with my no technical skills is getting redesigned by a um, development agency which is quite nice to see something different coming on <laughs> um as a similarly non-technical fan i can definitely appreciate um the, the joy and relief that you get when someone who actually knows what they're doing starts to take over your sort of early um, versions of an idea. Uh, that's fantastic. If we could like um, just dive into a little bit more about some of these um, support networks and some of these organizations that you mentioned which are help, have helped set up Lapapo with you. Um, tell us a little bit about, I guess, your interaction with Unlimited and, you know, sort of how that went from a uh, kind of how you met them, but also what sort of support and practical um, kind of guidance they provide, and you know, I guess more broadly, what sort of things you were looking for at this early stage in terms of setting up um, La Papo. Yeah, so when I first um, decided to set it up, I just needed a bit of mentoring, a bit of guidance, a bit of a bit of funding, just to try and get going. Um, so I applied some limited and. I got through to the phone call and then I got rejected. 
Um, back then, the Papa was just a social network for parents. So literally just parents can just share ideas and talk to each other. Because um, they said, I don't know how it's going to make money. And I was like, well, I didn't know that's what I was meant to do. I just wanted to do something for these parents. Um, and then I changed it and then it became what it is now. And I applied to Unlimited again and got um, some funding from them, which was great. Um, and then after that, I went to the NatWest Pre-Accelerator, which just gave me a bit more understanding of how to kind of build a basic, basic business, the basic kind of knowledge. Um, and then I went through a few different things. I mean, because coming from a background in teaching, and children and social areas and then trying to move into the business world. I feel like I need a lot of knowledge um, to make that transition. So I, I, I got like a bit of help from a few different organizations, which, which have been great. Can you maybe give us like one super important insight that you got in that process about like, like you said, setting up a business that was, you know, a revelation to you um, or super simple, but that just really helped you in those early stages? Yeah, um, I think one thing that I've really noticed, um, so I was in like sometime last year, a lot of last year, I started ignoring why I wasn't building a business and started focusing on, I need to build businesses to, to get investors or to get someone to give me money so I can do it. Um, and now I've completely swapped my approach. So it's not really, oh, I'm focusing too much on making sure that people that aren't that relevant don't like it. Not that investors aren't relevant, but I feel like I was putting too much focus on that and not enough on the, on the people in the community and being close to the people that I'm building a platform for. Um, so I think my biggest kind of lesson has been staying close to the people that you're building your product for and knowing why you're building it. Awesome. And what are some of the ways that you remain close to the community? Obviously, obviously you've worked in the space before, so I imagine you have some networks and insights there, but um, can you maybe tell us some of the ways that La Papa remains really close to parents and, and their kids with special needs? Yeah, so um, I've started doing a lot of parent workshops. So I do some parent workshops with a charity called The Second Voice. Um, I've done workshops with a charity called Centre 404. I've done a workshop with um, the National Autistic Society, Lambeth Branch. And I just like do activities in the community. So going to like parent groups or going to schools or going to like kids activity camps just anywhere that i can be around the people that i'm making look up because they're the ones that really form what it turns into and how it develops um, and i think that's really important because that is how it will grow and so yeah, i do a lot of kind of volunteer and charity work yeah, awesome. And that's a super, super handy segue uh, into um, how La Papo's going and the reception it's had. So we've heard, obviously, about where the idea came from and some of the issues that you saw whilst working in the space, how you then sort of, you know, took the first steps towards building something um, to help solve that problem and, and some of the challenges and support along the way. But I guess perhaps most importantly, how has it been received? How have people and, and your, you know, 
networks and customers um, responded to Lapapo? Yeah, so I've got really good feedback. So the the customers that have come to buy through Lapapo, all of them have left like positive reviews. Um, in terms of like how they were communicated with, how their product was delivered. Um, I've gotten good reviews with parent support groups. So just trying to get the word out there and connecting with other um, parents and just getting feedback on what they think and how they think the platform should be built. Um, I've gotten good feedback from, from teachers and Senkos. I do a lot of videos as well with um, with people that are kind of thought leaders in the space. So I've started doing um, recordings with teachers, Senkos, speech therapists, um, anyone that has something to offer. So all of that kind of just forms the basis of what Lapapo turns into. Um, but yeah, so far it's been pretty good. Awesome, and just quickly for those who might not know, what's a Senko? Yeah, a Senko is someone that works in a school. They're a special educational needs coordinator. So they basically make sure that if a child has an educational healthcare plan, that everything that they need and their requirements are listed on that. Um, they might coordinate the kind of speech and language therapy that the child might have in school or any other therapy that they might need. Um, basically what they do. Imagine a pretty important element in um, the kids' lives and their sort of interaction with schools and other structures around them. Um, you mentioned before that uh, earlier, or like uh, last year, you did a bit of a crowdfunding round as part of a way to help support the Papo um, raising funds and then grow. Um, I was wondering if you can just talk a little bit about the kind of thinking behind crowdfunding as a you know a strategic choice for you and the Papo to go down in terms of raising funding, um, and particularly whether you think uh, you know it has some more attractive or less attractive uh, features for organisations like La Papo that are social impact and um, trying to bridge this purpose and profit gap. So I have a lot of horror stories about investment, which is why I'm now very kind of cautious over who where I look for funding. What sort of what sort of things came to mind in terms of horror stories for people who <laughs> have not heard horror stories about <laughs> investors yet? So I've heard stories such as an investor comes in and they kick the founders out. I've heard stories such as investors come in and they change the direction of the company, um, that they put more focus on certain areas. So they're Investors that I think investors that have more focus on the profit over the purpose side are going to push the company in one way, and then investors are social impact investors are going to push the company in another way. So I'm very make, making sure I choose investors that have that sort of social impact mind because I don't want it to just become this thing that's kind of money driven, money hungry, and not really making an impact that is meant to have. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely a really common sort of fear in the social impact space or, um, you know, organizations that are sitting between purpose and profit that at some point it swings uh, for, you know, better or worse um, in the direction that uh, investors or external kind of parties want to take it for, for financial incentives or other things rather than sort of being really faithful to the kind of initial goal, which um, in most cases is a really impact focused uh, one. 
Um, but yeah, so that, thanks for explaining that a little bit. But sorry, you were saying, so you had some concerns around regular investing um, structures. And so uh, well, after you'd heard the horror stories, you then yeah. um, moved on. <laughs> yeah, after I, I mean, I'm still very much open to investment. And I think it will, if it's meant for me, it will come mm-hmm. with the right person. But I think with crowdfunding, the crowdfunding that I did, it wasn't huge. It was about 10K. Um, and it was supported by NatWest, so they funded the the other half. Um, so I raised it from the crowd. So it was like family, friends, connections, people that you know. Um, so there was no real kind of equity take or anything in it. It was just we see that you're doing something that's good, and here's a bit of money so you can mm-hmm. make it happen. Um, so in that sense, it's it's allowed me to kind of focus on continue, continuing to build it. Um, last year, I was very focused on getting investment. And I think that focus sometimes can cause more damage than good. And I'm kind of happy that I didn't get it last year because I don't think I would have been, I think I would, I think the puppet would have gone in a different direction, yeah. I think. Um, so yeah, I'm very, very focused on making sure whoever comes in has that same kind of goal and the same vision as what, what I have. And it could be, Yeah. I mean, in some people, it might not even be changing for the worse. It might just be, I heard it, someone say to me, oh yeah, you should add adults to your mm-hmm. thing, do special needs for all people. And I thought, well, that's not what my interest yeah. is. So that's not what I do. Um, not that that's a bad thing because adults also need also have needs but it's just not my area yeah and maybe in the future that's something that you can branch out to but good to good to be specific about where you're starting um uh can i ask like what sort of engagement you've had ongoing with the people who contributed the funding in the crowd like how have you found that you know i guess we sort of um heard a little bit about what happens when you have investors that might have different incentives or, or misaligned incentives to yours but um what's it like being sort of integrated with the community and you know financial backers as well who presumably care quite a, a bit about what the papo is and it's doing i think it's a lot um for one it keeps you motivated because it makes sure that you know that someone that you know personally or that knows someone that was no party invested in you because they believed in what you're doing so those times when it's like really challenging or really like oh my gosh like i just look back and think okay these people put money in because they believe that it could go somewhere so i need to make sure that i do them proud um cool yeah and i imagine that's a much better motivation than um someone uh, wanting their their financial return at all costs um Really exciting. Uh, you mentioned then, obviously, that you know, children with special needs is your passion. Um, and so uh, I want to kind of pivot a little bit away now from the Papa as an organization and the sort of journey as a startup founder in that space, um, just to kind of focus a little bit more on yourself. Um, where do you think the passion for helping children with special needs comes from? Is this something that you know, either you know where it comes from or it's come from something you can trace back? Or is it a bit of just, you know, this is you and this is how you think about the world? Tell us a little bit about that. That's <laughs> it interesting question and i always tell either like the kind of surface 
Brian or I tell like the bit of a that's a bit strange story. <laughs> okay, like, let's go with the strange one, and then we can always we can always cover it up with the surface one if, if we need to. <laughs> the the strange story is when I was a baby, I died and I came back. Doctors brought me back, um, and after that, I okay. got ill quite a bit. So I had to have appendicitis. I was in hospital a lot, um, and then like. I've come from a single parent family, so I saw my mum like raise four kids on her own. And all these different things, I think, just made me realise how challenging it is for some children and how that can, how your childhood has so much impact on your future life. Um, So even as a child, I was always interested in children. I was like, I wanted to babysit at 10 and I wanted to like be the school council because I could like help the school students in school um, and then as soon as I was able to to work started volunteering with children with behavior needs and then was a teaching assistant and then went and volunteered in Peru mm-hmm. with orphans and then it's just it's just what I've just always done I feel like the root some of it comes from having such a challenging childhood and the illness of being a child and all of that stuff and yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what's one thing you've learned about yourself um, through the process of starting La Papo about, you know, this passion and this interest of yours? I've noticed, I didn't realise how passionate I was until I got to those breaking mm-hmm. points where it was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And then it's like, no, we're doing it. And I think just hearing other parents, speaking to other parents saying, oh, I love what you're doing and thank you for doing what you're doing and things like that. I, it makes me realize how, how resilient I am, how much I will put in until something becomes successful. Um, and do you think that's something that people can learn or it's something you're, you're sort of born with or is that something that, you know, if people out there who aren't sure about that in themselves, um, how would you kind of, you know, advise other people who might be um, thinking about similar things, but not really sure of, of you know, of whether they can ha- hack it. I think passion is, I think it's probably harder to learn passion than it is to learn resilience. Um, I think if you're, if you're interested in something, you can eventually become passionate about it. But I think life will just teach you to really be resilient with the different challenges that you face. And, and I, if you're interested in something and you're resilient, I think you can yeah. make it work. Um, I think that's a good, a good set of criteria for people who um, are seeking to, to start on this journey as well. Um, cool. So, uh, Anika, I was wondering if the, in the last part of our conversation, if we could start to look a little bit more towards the future. We've obviously been speaking a little bit about um, you know, where a lot of this uh, La Papo and the journey started. But I want to kind of like fast forward a little bit. So... Um, can you just give us a bit of a, uh, an insight into some of your, you know, future plans for the Papo? We call this our innovation imagination section. So let's pretend it's, you know, 2030, it's 10 years time. Hopefully we're not still in global pandemic. Um, where is the Papo and what do you see it, you know, it doing or being at that time? My vision for the Papo is to be the, a world leader. So like the go-to place for parents regardless of what country they're in. And if you look at Africa, there's so much with special needs 
and children dying and I mean it's hard here but it's harder there um so the next 10 years I feel like I want it to become this hub this go-to place for all parents with childhood additional needs and let's say it's still 2030 um we're still hopefully not locked down uh and there's uh a Nikkei 2.0 you know someone who in a very similar situation or was kind of at that same starting point that you um, were a, a couple of years ago um, and they're starting their own version of the pup or whatever that is and whatever issue they're focused on. What's the one thing you would, you know, gift them, whether that's advice or resources or whatever it is, what's the kind of one thing you wish, you know, you could give to someone um, at the start of their journey? I would say, firstly, know your why. And it's a bit cliche, but your why will push you all the time. And secondly, put a raincoat on because when it rains and it storms, you can't really go back. You just gotta keep walking with that umbrella and that coat. I think that's great. I think uh, that's probably also just generally good advice for people living in the UK um, to always have a raincoat around, but particularly if you're doing a, a social impact startup. <laughs> um, and so can you just give us a little bit of an overview of sort of what's next for the Papo in the shorter term? So in the next kind of three to six months, what are you um, planning? How do you kind of see those, the rest of the year, I guess, um, playing out? Yeah, if I had my ideal situation, the next three to six months would be getting in some sort of funding. I'm not really too bothered where it comes from as long as it's beneficial. Mm-hmm. And I'm growing the team because at the moment it is me, myself and I. I've got a volunteer cool. that does um, other areas and I've got mentors and advisors but i want a solid team that can help it help it move forward um so okay. yeah. um and obviously this podcast is uh, you know produced by the east london inclusive enterprise zone team or as part of that um, initiative um and you're uh, an elise member for the future um, can you just give us a little bit of an insight into uh, why you wanted to be part of the the enterprise zone um, and become a member of, of the program uh, and what you're sort of hoping to get out of it? Yeah, so you see a lot of programs around today, but there's not many that are focused on disability, accessibility, kind of that sort of inclusion space. Um, and that's why I decided to go mm-hmm. with Ellis. And, and ideally, I would like to form connections network, just become more known within the disability space and know more of what's going on um, and the partners and charity partners and the rest of it within the space. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think there is a really strong need for that kind of connection and collaboration in the disability space. I think a lot of the time, um, you know, when I come across people doing really interesting things, they, they, don't know a lot of the kind of the other people in the place doing similar or related things, not necessarily the same. Um, and they're always really excited and enthused to be able to connect with them. But we don't have a kind of a really strong, um, I guess, structure for that or, or sort of like you, in a similar sense to the Papa, a place to go to be able to find other people um, doing innovative stuff. And I think part of that goes to your first, you know, your, the big point we made about um, the stereotypes in this space that uh, if you're doing stuff in the for good space, it, it isn't 
a kind of fast-paced, forward-thinking, innovative environment. It's, it's kind of a very traditional, old-fashioned sort of charity model. Um, and so, yeah, so I think hopefully with, with more people like yourself joining the Elise uh, network and, and coming to you know, East London when they can, um, when they're able to and safe to, um, I think it'll be a really exciting place to try and create some of those connections that hopefully spawn some also really cool ideas and collaborations and, and innovations. Um, so that's fantastic. Uh, one sort of final question to round out things. Um, what is the uh, weirdest um, request or the, or the kind of um, the most unusual request you've had for a product on the Puppo that, um, that you've, you've had to source? <laughs> The weirdest thing I've had to find was camel's milk. Okay. <laughs> I got from a parent and they were like, do you have camel's milk? And I was like, what? <laughs> and I, <laughs> I looked into it and I thought, okay, I can see why you want it. So right. I'll get it. <laughs> but it was just, I was just like, what's on it? <laughs> cool. Well, I'm sure if you ever uh, in a situation where, uh, you know, it's life or death and we need camel's milk, uh, I'll know who to call now, um, which website to go to. Um, awesome. Thanks, Nico. If there's anything, is there anything in particular that you'd like to sort of say um, to everybody listening just as a kind of final thoughts or, or things that you think are really important to kind of know about, um, you know, innovating in the inclusion space? Yeah, um, I think innovation in the inclusion space is the new up and coming thing. And I think it's going to be the next thing for the next five years. And I think more people should be interested in it and more people should get involved in it as well. Yeah, it's exciting. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us and sharing your journey. Uh, I really look forward to having you as part of the Elise network moving forward and wishing you all the best with La Papo and um, any other camel milk uh, hunting jobs that you get <laughs> in the near future. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Inclusive Innovators podcast. Next week, we're joined by Andrew Ruin from Plexal. Do you want to take part in the Elise program or be part of our community? To find out more, visit www.ucl.ac.uk forward slash enterprise forward slash Elise or give us a follow on Twitter at Elise 2020. You can find out more about our virtual and physical workshops on social media, funding, app development, and a masterclass on accessible comms. Captioning will be available for each session. We'd also like to thank our Elise partners, including Barclays Eagle Labs, Capsule Enterprise, Disability Rights UK, Global Disability Innovation Hub, Hackney Council, Here East, Greater London Authority, Inclusion London, London Legacy Development Corporation, Loughborough University London, Plexal, London College of Fashion, and UCL. This podcast is powered by Sociability.